Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. I'm your host, Soini Cope. Welcome to this week's show. 2016 is coming to a close and it's a great time to take a look back over our favorite shows from the year. And we've had so many amazing guests that it's really, really hard to choose. So I asked uh, some members of my team for some help. They've each picked a favorite from the past year. And today we're going to share those choices with you. So first up is Angie, my assistant extraordinaire. In fact, I said, if Angie ever leaves me, I'll probably end up quitting my job. And without whom there just wouldn't be this show. So Angie chose a show from March featuring Kit Hughes and Paul Sternberg, who are the CEO and COO of Look Listen, which is a full-service digital agency. And Look Listen started with two lifelong friends, that's Paul and Kit, who teamed up in 2007 to start the agency. And they've made it all the way onto this year's Inc. 500. So here's a clip from the show in which they talk about what sets them apart as an agency. Digital advertising brings a tremendous amount of technology and targeting to a business, which brings a lot of complexity. And so the level that a CEO needs to be involved is he needs to hold his, the agency of, that, they, that they work with, as well as um, a CMO, if, again, if, he's, if he has one, he or she has one, or a VP of marketing hold them accountable to not just speaking in advertising terms like CPC and CPMs, but truly to help translate it for a CEO dashboard view of what does what do these metrics actually mean for the business. Mm-hmm. And so when you're having these executive level conversations, what are some of the things that um, you know CEOs should be looking at when they're when they're managing or holding your, their digital agency accountable? There's certainly the ROI side of the conversation. How much am I actually putting into this and getting out of it? There's been a shift, too, that some CEOs that haven't done a lot of work in digital, they have this traditional mindset of, well, when I, when I work with my marketing team to set budgets, the budget blend is, needs to be, you know, 85% of the media buy is what we're spending money on. And then 15% are the agency fees. It doesn't work that way in digital. It worked that way in TV and, and print, but it, doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. It costs more for agencies in the digital space to be able to, to do everything that they need to do to build out these complex campaigns, to target them, to optimize them. And so it's, it's, it's a bit harder there. But what, what the CEOs need to understand is there is a different sort of class of agencies that work that um, in, in the digital space, and they need to be sort of treated appropriately. Mm. As you think about your your agency, we've had a number of digital agencies on the show before. What what's what are some of the things that set you apart in terms of maybe some of the approaches or methodologies that you use? Well, I would say we're probably cooler and better looking than the ones that you've had on before. <laughs> so I just would would like to throw that out there. But what really makes us different is that we, we don't believe that you have to compromise killer creative for the advanced analytics side of things. So we're part of a new generation of agencies in which 
we we do truly respect the fact that the table stakes are killer creative. It just has to look good. It has to sound good. It has to read good. The whole creative package, if you will, needs to be uh, wrapped with a bow on it and be loved by all. But the extra piece is the advanced analytics and being able to measure deeply so that as, it, as the results bubble up to a CEO level, there's almost nothing anecdotal that's going to be challenged on the work. It's like, did you think through these things? Did you go in this direction? Did you test this idea? Yes, we, we did. And we can actually model out what those advanced analytics are saying. That's really what makes us, us different. And, and if I was to tell you from much more of a, of a sort of marketing perspective of how we present ourselves as an agency, we focus around our own brand promise, which is make ideas matter. A lot of agencies out there are just focused on making ideas, and making ideas is is boring. This new generation of ad agencies aren't going to um, uh, sort of stand for for stopping there. We're focused on on not just making the ideas, but making them matter. And mattering means mattering to the to the end user, to the consumer, to the people in the client organization, so that we make sure that. We are just, we're taking it beyond creating, you know, the, the nice creative ideas, but we're actually weaving in um, how they matter and how we can test it to, to optimize it. Next up, we have another Inc. 500 company, the Nolan Transportation Group. And this was Ryan, our producer's favorite. It was also one of my favorites as well. And the Nolan Transportation Group is one of the fastest growing companies in America. And we were joined in August by their CEO, Kevin Nolan the general manager of their Atlanta office, Luke Tauscher, who talked about how talent and technology are driving the growth of their company. And here's the thing that I liked about the show. It was a reveal because I thought that the conversation was going to be about transportation because they're a company that's in trucking and, and brokerage. But as we were talking with Kevin and with Luke, what emerged for me was that they are a really, really great sales organization and that their competitive advantage is not so much in trucking, but their ability to build a really great sales team. And I love shows like that where, you know, you think it's going to be about one thing, but then the real insight and the real aha comes from someplace else. So here's the show. Let's back up and talk about the trends that you mentioned. So you mentioned consolidation, technology, and talent. And you mentioned that logistics is getting really hot, especially here in Atlanta. But if I told my mother that I was going to go into a trucking business, she would have looked at me like I was crazy. So why is, is the transportation of the trucking business getting, getting so sexy for talent right now? I think that there's a few reasons. One is it's kind of the last, I, I see it as one of the last frontiers in industry that, that, that you can come in and make a splash immediately out of school. You know, we talk to our guys and girls during training and say, hey, you know, it's like you're about to be freshmen that have to play on the varsity team uh, because there is so much freight out there and these truckers do have a need to find loads. If you walk into our office, for instance, it's not like anywhere else you walk into. You're not going to walk in and just be like, okay, like, who do I find? What's going on in here? It is loud. It is obnoxious. You picture a chaotic floor, like when you watch it's, Wolf of Wall Street type of thing. <laughs> well, I, we call it the Redneck Stock Exchange, right? <laughs> I mean, that's a great analogy, yes. <laughs> because everyone's hooting and hollering. When you have a load and it's hot, you know some trucks that are out there that want to do it. And, 
You know, every load is a negotiation. And our carriers that we use are great. You know, the small guy, the small carrier is what moves America. Swift, J.B. Hunt, Werner Knight, all great companies, but their customers tie them up pretty hard. You know, they work with a lot of the big box retailers. So these small guys, they work with, you know, they use us, but they also work with small to mid-sized shippers, and that's who moves trucks. And uh, what Luke said also is what's exciting about it is one minute you can be talking to the vice president of supply chain and logistics at a Fortune 500 company, and then two minutes later, you're dispatching a truck and a driver. And, and you're, you know, you're just the importance. But the great thing about our business is we treat that driver and that vice president of logistics the exact same because mm-hmm. we can't do it without either of them. You know, we're in the middle, and so we need we need both. Great. So talent logistics is a great, um, great market uh, for talent. And so some of our CEOs may be competing with you for people coming out of out of college. Tell us about technology, which is the one of the other trends that you mentioned. Right. So obviously, we do a lot of tracking and tracing. Our internal system that we use to monitor and, and to keep track of trucks and also to find out what lanes they want to go into, you know, the differentiator in this business and, and how you can really drive scale is by having good technology with good people. You know, they're tools, right? You know, there's never going to be because trucks want to run all across the country and they don't know where they're going to be in three days. So, you know, the, the system and the technology that allows you to track and trace, look at history, look at where they want to run and talk to them. There's two uh, softwares that we use pretty heavily that are not our own. We do have our own internal, but there's there's one called Macro Point and one called Four Kites. And what that does is it allows us to get information through an app back and forth through the driver where we're not having to do check calls, bother him. You know, there's there's we want to keep the roads as, as safe as possible. So now, you know, when all trucks used to have thousands of dollars in GPS in their trucks to track, you know, Qualcomm, all these things, now for five bucks a load, or two bucks or three bucks or whatever it is, they can get tracking, tracing, give us information, take a picture of the bill of lading, send it to us, request, you know, fuel advances, anything else. A lot of it is happening back and forth through through these technologies. And, uh, you know, that's going to be the, the the game changer. And, and I don't think anyone from an outside is going to be able to come in. I think that we're going to be the ones that are going to drive the changes in technology, the, the ones that are in the business day in and day out. And now we have Greg Chestnut and Jerry Stern from Prime Technological Services. This show was chosen by Stephanie, who is actually a guest on the show was one of the people who's been very encouraging and actually listens to the show. So she's a listener as well as one of our CEO guests. I really appreciate uh, having people like Stephanie who listen to the show like you. So I asked her to, to offer us her favorite, and she loved the show where we looked into the future and received some guidance from Greg and Jerry about the technologies Every CEO should know because they're changing our everyday business practices and our lives. So here's the show. Well, I thought there would be three that would be particularly interested to listeners, both from a business perspective and also just as consumers and members of a rapidly evolving society in which we live. Uh, One is gene sequencing and kind of the growth and medical innovation that's being spawned by that. A second is the proliferation of nanotechnology. 
And a third would be the compression of battery technology. And certainly we see uh, signs of all three of these emerging in our business. So we thought that would be of interest. Can you give us a cool, like a cool, maybe everyday relatable example of each of these trends, but this one in particular? Well, probably the one that's uh, that's in the media right now. Everyone out there is uh, familiar with Tesla. Probably a lot of the listeners probably drive them. Um, <laughs> Elon Musk is is is, is an, a next wave of innovation of that company is developing its own proprietary lithium ion storage system that's basically designed to store more power, greater capacity, and allow for a longer running life between charges of the vehicle. So that's that's one that, you know, we, we see the vehicle on the road every day. And if you think about what a game breaker that is, um, if you have to stop less to, to recharge the battery or the power source on the vehicle, you can travel farther, you can travel greater distances. Mm-hmm. That's probably an example of the decoupling trend, if you will. Yeah. And I would love to only have to charge myself on once a week. That would be nice. Right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. So uh, what about nanotechnology? Nanotechnology for you know people who sort of may not be familiar with what it is, it's 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 really the science and technology and application of engineering uh, at a very very small particle level. I'm not a physicist, but it's really about the utilization or the utilization of technology and materials to make them smaller, to make them lighter, to make them higher functioning, to make them faster. And so you know we're seeing that in the electronics market with the compression of what we call actives, which are semiconductors and devices that actually perform functions on a circuit board. They're getting smaller. They're taking less space. The functionality that programmers are able to code into them is, is just expanding very, very rapidly. And, you know, there's been a concern that sort of in the modern era of computing, uh, you know, the, the, the industry is operated on a principle called Moore's Law, which basically says that uh, going back to the 60s, the amount of transistors on a circuit board or the amount of computing power decreases or, or increases rather exponentially. And as that occurs, costs fall very rapidly. Right. And there's a concern that we may be sort of getting to the end of, uh, of that trend. The application of nanotechnology and, and, and that science in chip design, uh, I think most people who are familiar with this uh, see that as an extension of, of, of Moore's Law. And basically, the expectation that we can have is that we'll continue to get significant enhanced functionality out of devices uh, at lower and lower costs. Mm. And that's just one application in the industry that we're in. There, there are numerous applications in uh, everything from uh, fabrics and apparel design to roadway construction. Mm. Uh, Great. And what about gene sequencing? Gene sequencing is on the medical and the healthcare side of the world. It's a trend that I believe, and, and I may have some of this data wrong, but I, I think up until the time that the first human genome was sequenced, uh, it took about $3.7 billion of research uh, to get us to a point that we could do that. As recently as 10 years ago, it costs $100 million to sequence a, a human genome. Today, 10 years later, it costs 1000 And the projections are the next five years that with the application of, of technology available, it's going to cost $100. So what's happening um, as the cost of that technology has declined, price elasticity of demand is taking over, which is just a fancy economic term for the cheaper something is, the more of it people will demand. And so I believe the numbers that I, that, I, that I read prior to coming on are that the projections are that by 2019, we will have sequenced over 2 billion genomes and 50 million human genomes. So 
if you think about what that enables in terms of medical research and the utilization of that research for therapy, for treatment, from our perspective in business, uh, I mean, it, 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 it points to two eventual outcomes. We should see a significant proliferation in the device market, whether that's delivery systems for medication, whether that's treatment technology. Uh, and really, uh, that trend is going to, over time, take us to a much, much more personalized healthcare system well, I was just because, gonna, yeah, because of the application of that technology. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, are we going to get to the point where everybody's just going to have, it probably won't even be a thumb drive at that point, but we'll have some storage capacity that has their entire, their own personal gene sequence on it. I, I, I and you'll take it to the doctor and the I, doctor will use that to do all kinds of things. I think that's a, a likely outcome. And then, of course, we won't get into that today, but that raises all sorts of uh, Privacy, other issues. Yada, like yada, privacy, yada, HIPAA, yada, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. All right. And then we have Andrea's favorite. Andrea is the person who writes those wonderful blogs that you see every Thursday. So I guess I'm copping to the fact that I don't write those blogs. But (laughs) she is the writer for CEO Exclusive. And she also chose a show that focuses on technology and how technology is changing the world. She chose the show from June featuring Jeff Hillemeyer and Ryan Tuttle, who are the CEO and COO of Dragon Army. So Dragon Army is a mobile experience company that's very, very cool. And it's comprised of both a game studio, which designs and launches video games, and a digital agency, which creates mobile experiences for small companies like Coca-Cola and Home Depot. On the show, we talked about how virtual and augmented reality are closer and closer to becoming a part of our daily lives and the way that we experience the world around us. <laughs> Jeff mentioned contacts. They've actually had prototypes for contact lenses with LED um, displays in them for years, and they're just slowly perfecting them. And when that gets perfected and people are wearing those on their eyes all the time, augmented reality is going to be here and in every aspect of your life for everybody. And there for, is going to be a comfort level thing, but sure. For listeners who don't know the difference, what's the difference between virtual reality and augmented reality? Sure. And, and it's, it's sort of a subtle distinction, but typically augmented reality is when you're looking at something in your, the environment you're actually in, the computer is generating new information about it. So if I hold up a coffee cup that doesn't have a label on it, and all of a sudden the, the computer puts a label on it, I'm looking up at the sky and the computer shows me a readout, sort of RoboCop style of what the weather report's going to be. That would be augmented reality. Virtual reality is more of a complete virtual environment. So all of a sudden I put on goggles and I'm in space or I'm at the top of a mountain, even though I may be sitting on my couch. They're, they're sort of blends between the two, but those are sort of the, the maybe the common distinctions. Between that, the two. So like I think augmented reality personally is more interesting from a just general adoption standpoint. So imagine you walk into a networking event and you're wearing these contacts or glasses or something and you look around and you can like, a, you know, the people who you're wow, connected that LinkedIn, to. Their LinkedIn profile LinkedIn, comes up and exactly. gives me their like yeah. stuff. So I'm not like, yeah. oh God, who is this person? I met them. Birthday. Yeah. yeah. You know, it just, it, you know, that's <laughs> an easily, you know, to, to see. Same thing with food, like you're ordering and you can see calories and stuff. It's just, to me, that gets really interesting. Virtual reality Maybe more powerful, but I think it's 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 going to be less like a part of our society day to day than augmented is. Yeah, and and there's a um there's an interesting video, and I I can't remember the name of it that's being passed around social media, that shows a like a artist interpretation of what the future may look like with augmented reality, 
And one of the, the cool aspects I think they came out with is um, this lady's walking through a grocery store and she picks up a package of yogurt. And the yogurt is the label she has on some augmented reality glasses, contact lenses. You can't tell because you're looking through her perspective. She picks up the yogurt and the packaging is pink. And all of a sudden there's a glitch in her augmented reality and it changes to like this camouflage packaging. Because the augmented reality, the, the virus in her computer or whatever thought she was male instead of female. And then all of a sudden it shuts off and you realize the package is really just blank the whole time. So the augmented reality was showing the user what the package should yeah. look like to them from their perspective yeah. in order to sell the most yogurt. To me, that's so fascinating because why do we have packaging? It's to sell to people. Right. But, but it's you have to create it once and anyone who walks up, you know, a 90-year-old guy or a 15-year-old girl sees the same packaging. Well, why should they? Why shouldn't they see exactly what is, you know, best for them or what they're interested in? So. Right. A couple of questions come to mind immediately. I'd love for you to wax poetic on this. First of all, and I can't remember the name of the movie, but there was this movie where the woman had like her cell phone embedded in her hand. You know, that kind of, you know, that image of the contact lenses, mm -hmm. you know, being on somebody's eyes. You know, how likely are the, I don't know what it's called. It's bio something. I can't remember the for the technological phrase. Forgive me, listeners. But that where the, the computers and the um, technology is embedded in the body. I mean, do you think that people will adopt that? Because to me, that kind of is tripping my freak out meter a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, right. Because Google already has enough information right, on yeah, me. Yeah. The last thing I want is Google on my irises, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, you, one of my. You've been drinking too much coffee, so <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, I, I definitely have a lot of opinions on this, can go in many directions with it. I, I do think current virtual reality uh, barrier is comfort. So the more comfortable the goggles get, the more people are adopting it. Contact lens will be a thing, but they'll, they will get to a point where um, some people want to wear it, some people won't. I think we'll absolutely get to a point where people are embedding artificial parts, chips or whatever in themselves. It sounds scary for us right now, but another theory I have uh, around just looking at the next generation of the workforce and my kids and everything else and looking at social media, I think it's going to be more normal for the generations coming, that information is more readily available. Their sense of things like privacy, privacy mm -hmm. they may have a completely different concept of privacy than we have. So the idea of them sharing information or being um, scared to share information, they'll just assume I can know everything about the other person I want to. So what really is privacy? So next up is Carrie our assistant producer for CEO Exclusive. So she's the person who is responsible for getting all of our wonderful guests every week. And she chose the show with Katherine Downey and Scott Dixon of Cat Media. Cat Media is another agency that covers a range of creative services. And the company has been on the Inc. 500 two times so far. And they offered us some powerful insights about the importance of having a social media plan that ties to your overall marketing plan rather than having it float off in the stratosphere someplace by itself. Here's the show. In the creative services world, some of the big trends in creative services and in advertising right now are in digital media, where social media is really taking over. And I have noticed that a lot of mid-level managers, mid-level companies, they don't really take it very seriously, but it's something that companies need to start taking seriously because their customers are using social media. Mm. We've heard a lot about social media on the show over the past few months. 
And so when you say that they're not taking it seriously, tell us a little bit about what that actually looks like inside of a company. Well, they may not have a social media plan that is uh, actually geared towards their target market. They may not be doing social media at all. So smaller and mid-sized companies tend to, in my opinion and, and what I have seen, don't pay a lot of attention to necessarily branding and marketing and social media and digital media. They're not really doing a lot in those areas at all. They might be using more traditional marketing. Mm -hmm. So it sounds to me like the CEO or maybe a few of the executives having a LinkedIn profile isn't enough. Correct. So you need a corporate Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, Pinterest, all of it, um, because your customers are on those social media um, outlets. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because I've heard two camps, right? So there's the the camp, which I tend to fall in, which is my company is B2B. So I am completely disinterested in Facebook. You know, I don't want to see the videos of the dancing cats and dogs. You know, like I'm just disinterested in that. You know, some advisors say, you know, if you're not going to actually have a meaningful presence in that particular social media, it's better to have no presence than to have something that's anemic that may, you know, kind of reflect badly on your brand. And so I'd love for you to you both to weigh in on that question. Yeah, if I could take a stab at that. Social media really allows you to have a conversation with your customers, whether it's B2B or B2C, is really secondary. The business clients are using social media. They're using it aggressively. So unlike just having a website strategy or a more traditional media strategy to promote your brand or pr promote your company, Facebook and Twitter in particular allow you to have an ongoing conversation with your clients. And there's a relatively high expectation that if one of your customers is on those, one of those social channels commenting about their experience with you or asking you a question, they're going to get a response back very quickly. And if they don't, it reflects poorly on you. And how would you counsel a company or a CEO to think about the relative balance between all the different channels? So not just the individual channels on social media, but then social media overall as a part of their portfolio of their marketing strategy. I would just say as a part of your marketing strategy, you have to have a social media plan. I mean, you can't ignore it. You know, I think people that maybe are are in our, our age group in the 50s and 60s, didn't grow up with social media, and some of us don't use social media. So because it's not necessarily in our purview, we don't take it seriously. But you're talking about gross impressions, which is an old advertising adage, right? The more gross impressions you have, the more market awareness is of you and your company. So I think from a gross impressions perspective, um, social media is an obvious choice. I mean, everybody is using it. I, I've heard the argument from some of my advertising agency buddies that, well, not everybody uses social media, but everybody uses social media. Last, but certainly not least, is my favorite show of the year, which was the show that we actually did as a TV or videotaping with tracks image recognition. Um, which featured Trax's CEO, Steve Horniak, and their VP of Customer Success, who was Terrell Tootin. And yes, it was a fantastic show. 
And yes, I got to try my hand at potentially thinking about doing TV. So it was a lot of fun. But also, Steve and Terrell offered some really, really great takeaways on how technology is changing retail and all of our lives, right? So one of the things that they look at is how to automate retail. And one of the things that I've mentioned on the show a number of times is the fact that automation is going to change all of our lives, right? A lot of changes in um, the workforce, a lot of changes in companies. You know, there are statistics that show that 80% of the jobs that we know in the world right now are not going to be here um, in some short period of time. So it's really important for us to pay attention to these trends. So as in the clip here, you know, they talk about this and had some really great input on how to build a strong company culture in a global organization. Here's tracks. With that is encouraging transparency, encouraging openness, encouraging people to challenge each other, including me. I would be highly upset if people didn't transparently challenge me on a daily basis. So the ability to, to have that environment that in a meeting, it's okay to be a little bit argumentative. It's okay to be, have less structure and focus on the end results versus having yeah. a very formalized and structuralize this. Wait, wait a minute. This is my boss. I can't say this to my boss. Right. It's almost a reverse. That doesn't pyramid. exist where we are. No, no, <laughs> it really doesn't. It really doesn't. It's almost a reverse pyramid, right? right? It's almost like I work for I work for the people, right? And nice. so it's you know if I'm I can't be successful and the team can't be successful without everyone being successful. So I'm here to help everyone be successful. And Terrell's here to help all of his team members be successful. So I think that absolute transparent, open, collaborative environment where there's no fear that you know what. If I say this to the CEO and I call BS on this thing, uh-huh. there's no fear that there's going to be a ramification from that. Right. In fact, it'll be openly received and acted upon. I think that's, uh, I'll go back to the first conversation that Steve and I had. It was a, a Saturday morning and he was driving. This is the one where he said he's going to hire you after half an hour. Uh, yep. He's driving to the University of Georgia to do some volunteer work. Uh, who knows what I'm doing, but. You know, one of the first things Steve said to me is my, my responsibility to you is to allow you to do your job and get out of the way. I'm here if you need me, but you own this. It's your responsibility to make it successful. And I'm going to depend on you to go do that. Mm. And I am not going to hover over you and, 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 and expect status reports. And so I do my job. And I, you know, I feel like the, the people that are part of the customer success organization, ultimately, I'm responsible for it. But it's not my team. It's our team. We're, we're a collaborative right. group. And that's why I ask everybody to take part in the interview process. Ultimately, it's my decision of who, of who gets hired. I right. understand that. You know, I've had a, 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 a group feedback that, that came back and said, we want to hire this individual, right, for whatever reason. And, and, and maybe I had a different opinion. And I made sure that I challenged them on every point that I thought was a, was, was a no. And we came to a conclusion of whether or not we we're going to hire that person. Uh, I, I think it goes similar to what some of the other people we have in the organization. Uh, I interview people within the sales organization because ultimately I have to work with those individuals. Do I feel like they're going to be able to go out and represent tracks and sell the solutions that we need? Give us something that we can actually deploy uh-huh. and, and help make the customer successful. And I was like, I think so. All of that is it's not a we are not a hierarchical company. Not at all. Everybody understands their title. <clears throat> everybody understands their role, what they're responsible for, mm. but the support person within the organization or one of our software engineers had better be prepared to give Steve their opinion on something because I can assure you he's going to ask for it. He's going to expect it. And, that, and that's good. You want that in a leader. For more on these shows or on any of our shows and guests throughout the year, go to CEOExclusiveRadio.com.
Thanks for joining us today, as well as throughout 2016. Happy holidays and have a very happy new year. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.